0: If you have your Bible, we are Acts chapter 2. We are at the uh, end of Acts chapter 2. I'm going to read uh, here in just a moment verses 41 down through the end of the chapter. We made it through uh, chapter 2 a little quicker than we made it through chapter 1. I think that's got to be some kind of record or something. All right, well, um, before I jump into that, one of the things that I dislike, and I I know Joey's a medic, but I don't think we have any other doctor. I don't like to go to the doctor. Not a fan of the doctor. I don't know why I don't like to go to the doctor. I have to be like horrendously sick before I go to the doctor. And I think part of that, part of the reason that I don't like to go to the doctor is because I don't really want to know what's wrong with me. Okay. All right. and, and, and Tina and I will joke and sometimes we'll, we'll drag Eric and Angel into it as well. Right? There have been scientific studies that when men get sick, it's infinitely worse than when women get sick. Scientifically studied. right? There, there are scientific studies. I don't have any of them in front of me right now, but I'm sure I could find it. It's on the internet. Why would they lie? right? But I don't, I don't like to go to the doctor because I don't want to know what's wrong with me. I would much rather just lay on the couch and let Tina take care of me. I'm pretty sure she's watching right now, so if there are any comments coming through right now on this, Joey, just go ahead and delete them, okay? <laughs> All right, but um, one of the things that we do for, for our children is every year we take them to the doctor. We go see Dr. Smith, our pediatrician, and Dr. Smith asks them a bunch of questions, and then she checks their eyes, and they're... Their, their ears and their nose, and she, you know, she checks their weight and does all of those things because we want to know if our children are healthy and if they're growing. And if they, there, there are different benchmarks that they have to have, like their height versus their BMI. And apparently, according to, uh, according to their last checkup, which we just did about two weeks ago, Jack and Ethan are both projected to be about nine and a half feet tall, okay? <laughs> according to the... According to the scale that they got going on, they're going to be some tall boys. I don't know where they get that from. I, you know, Tina and I are not, not small people by any means. But, um, so we want to know if they are healthy, if they are growing and doing the things that they want to do. Well, a church, a church is not just a building. And we say that all the time. We say a church is not just a building. We say a church is a group of people. But there are signs, there are things that, that from time to time we have to stop and we have to do a checkup on to make sure that the church is healthy. Because we can go along and we can go along and we can go along and we can you know, think that there might be, might be some concerns. And if we're not careful and we ignore those concerns for too long, what ends up happening is the church dies. The church just, psh, is gone. And, and from time to time, we have to, we have to stop and take a look and make sure, are things going the way that Jesus intended them to? And so that's where we are today in Acts chapter 2. Uh, we're going to take a look at, uh, I entitled this message, Signs of a Healthy Church. And in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 41, uh, I know we read that last week, but 41 down through 47, it describes what the early church looked like And what was happening as a result of them doing those things. So let's go ahead. I'm going to read uh, that passage of scripture. We're going to pray and then we'll jump right into it. Uh, Beginning in verse 41, it says this. So those who accepted his message were baptized. And that day about 3,000 people were added to them. They devoted themselves to the apostles teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved let 's pray, Father, I pray that you would uh, use the Holy Spirit right now to fill us, to open our eyes and open our hearts to not just hear hopefully um, hopefully a, a good a good talk on this passage, Lord, but that we would understand that this is truly the Word of God, and you are communicating. Uh, to us what you would have us to do Lord help us to be different people Lord I pray that you would fill me with the spirit and, and and help me to communicate not what you would have not what Jonathan wants to say but what you would have us say Lord give me the right words to speak help us to be different people help us to grow closer to each other as we grow closer to you through this we ask all this in your name amen all right so if we look in verse 42 if we look in verse 42 there are four things that, that Luke writes here that tells us the four things that this early church did that made them so healthy. And the result of that, of the result of them doing these things, we see in verse 47, it says, Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Alright, so what we're going to do is we're going to dive in and we're going to look at these. And then the other verses play out. They're kind of... Um, kind of flavoring to go with that. So, the first thing that we see, the first thing that we see is that the early church was devoted to the apostles' teaching. Alright? The first thing that they did was they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. And what were they teaching? They were teaching the Bible. Alright? The early church loved hearing God's Word taught. Guys, you look confused in the back. I only have two slides today. I was really lazy. So, Right. Point one is description of a healthy church and point two will come later. All right. So I I didn't mean to throw you off there. I I, yeah, I was I was I don't have points today. Sorry. Uh, All right. But anyway, now I'm all thrown off. The early church loved to study the Bible. All right. That was the main thing that brought them together. How did they form? They formed by hearing God's word. Okay they didn't form over they, they didn 't come together they weren't saved because they had a delicious ham dinner, although they were Jewish, so they probably weren't having ham dinner anyway all right i 'm just thinking of last night. They came together because of a devotion to god 's word. They were hungry to hear god 's word they wanted they understood that the scriptures were the very words of God. And Peter Peter understood this when he wrote this. Later on he's going to write some letters and in 2nd Peter chapter 1 verse 21 says this, because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The early church this this brand new group of people, they loved hearing The Bible taught. They loved getting together to study it. This is also why the Apostle Paul, who we'll meet in a few chapters, he emphasized so strongly to Timothy and Titus the need to teach strong doctrine. He wanted to to make sure that Timothy and Titus, as they were leading their churches, were teaching what the Scripture says. The early church needed to hear the Word of God. It was the nourishment they needed to grow in their faith right? We want our children to grow, so what do we give them? We give them Mike and Ikes and Kool-Aid, right? We give them all. We give them Doritos, and we give them, you know, uh, we give them Mountain Dew in their bottles. We do all of those things. That's that's how we get our children to grow, right? No! Okay, please, moms, shake your head no. It, it, don't. I'm, I'm looking at Eric, and he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right? If we want our children to grow, what do we do? We make them eat their green beans, and we make them eat broccoli, and we give them milk, and we give them all of the things that is good for them. Not the things that they necessarily want, but the things that they need. And sometimes, sometimes they don't always want to eat their green beans, right? When I was growing up, my, my dad would take me to my aunt's house, and she would always feed us butter beans. I don't know if you've ever had a butter bean. It's about this big, okay? <laughs> it's huge, right? I didn't want to eat them. Clearly, he didn't either because after dinner was over, he'd sneak us to the pizza place. But <laughs> Sometimes we have to eat things. Sometimes we have to eat things that, that don't necessarily taste good, that we don't want to eat, but they're good for us. Same thing is with the, the scripture. Sometimes we hear things that, that makes us happy. Other times we hear things that hurts and it steps on our toes. But we have to go through it because it's God's word and it's there to nourish us. The apostles were not standing up and just giving their opinions. They weren't standing up and saying, hey, this is what I think. They were truly preaching the word of God. They were not coming up with a topic and then digging through the Bible, trying to find verses to go with the topic that they're talking about. There are sometimes when I'm in, in Facebook groups um, uh, of different things, and, and people go, Yeah. I'm teaching a topic on, or I'm teaching a message series on this. Help me find verses to go with what I'm trying to teach. And I just scratch my head and go, that's not how it works, man. That's not how it works. Instead, what the, the apostles were doing is they were direct, teaching directly from the scripture because it was God's word. And there are many churches around the country this morning that say that they're teaching God's word. But the reality is, like I just said, they're taking what they want to teach and tacking some Bible verses on it to make it sound like it's a message. All right, In many churches, and I'm not going to name any. I'm just going to point. Everybody knows what I'm talking about. In many churches, the pastor will get up, he might read a verse, and then he'll go on for half an hour giving a motivational speech telling you how you're good enough, you're, you're smart enough, and everybody loves you. That's the Stuart Smalley Baptist Church, in case you guys didn't know. All right. Um, but, you know, he'll get up and he'll do that. That's not what we are called to do. We, As a as a pastor, as your pastor, as your preacher, my job is to get up, and even if I don't necessarily want to, I have to give you God's word. In the time that I've been with you, I think I've been with you almost two years now, I can only, I was I was digging through my brain, and I can only think of one time where I did a topical message. And that was... September, uh, like, leading up to August, September of, of 2016, I did a topical message on why you should come to church. I struggled with that. I hated it. I would tell Tina, why did I do this? What was I thinking? Because I, 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 had, these, I had these ideas of what I wanted to say, and I was trying to find Bible verses to back it up. I hated it. Right? For me, and I, and I hope you guys have noticed, I love to take a passage and walk through what that passage says. Because I love to break it down, even if it's hard for me, even if it's difficult. And, and, um, but we do that because that's what God wants us to do. That, that was the first thing. The, the early church was devoted to Scripture. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. And because they were devoted, they were growing leaps and bounds. The Bible tells us that our faith grows when we hear God's word. We're not, we're not called to come together to, to hear a motivational speech. We're not called to, we're not called to come together. to uh, it, there, There's a time and a place to see what the Bible says in regards to money. There's a time and a place for that. There's a time and a place for us to come together to see what the Bible says about relationships and how to raise our children and all of those things. But for me, I, I truly don't believe that that's Sunday morning. Right When we come together on Sunday morning, we're diving in and seeing what God's word has to say for us at that particular time. The second thing, the second thing that we'll see, um actually one last point before we get there. Um, as we continue to be devoted to the preaching of the Bible, and that means we have to show up when the Bible's being taught. Alright, there, there I'm gonna I'm going straight up honest I, this is one of those parts where it hurts. There are lots of times where I'm 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 up here and I'm teaching and I and I am teaching because I want you all as members of the church to grow right? That's what I've been called to do is to help you grow spiritually. And I look out and there's like four people here. We are not going to grow spiritually if we're not here to hear the preaching and the teaching of the Bible. Okay. It's just not going to happen. The second thing that we see here is not only were they devoted to the apostles teaching, they were also devoted to the fellowship. Okay. Now, sometimes when we hear that word fellowship, what do we think? We think dinner. Right? think cookies and, 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 and all those other things. Last night, you know, last night we were like, ooh, we're having a, a, a ham fellowship. Come on out. If you grew up in a Baptist church, you hear the word fellowship, that's exactly what you mean. That's not what this is talking about. That's not, that's not what they were referring to. They were devoted to, to fellowship. Acts chapter 2, verses 44 through 45. Let me read that real quick. It says, Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Now this passage, we see it and we go, so what do they do? They like lived in a camp together. They sold all their stuff and divvied up the money. That's not what it's talking about. Okay. Sometimes that, that, those two verses right there, they get, they get misinterpreted and they get twisted to say, oh, if you want to be a true Christian, you got to live in a commune. I don't live in a commune with you people. I like my house. I like living over there, okay? All right? What this verse is saying, or what these verses are saying, is that the people of the early church were so devoted to each other. They were so devoted, and they were so caught up in each other's lives, not being busybodies, but truly being concerned and loving of each other, that when a need came up, they were willing to take their possessions and sell them, to meet the need of that person. Sometimes it cost them a great deal to do that, but that's what they were willing to do because they had so much love for each other. This type of fellowship goes simply beyond being in each other's company. All right, sometimes we, we say we come to church and, and we wave to each other and, and we do those things and we say, Oh, I had good fellowship today. That's not what is happening. That was that's not what was happening. In the early church. And it needs to move beyond that. Um, I wrote down a whole list of verses. The Bible is, is full. I mean I, I looked at a list. There were probably 15 or 20. I'm not going to go through all 15 or 20 of them. Uh, I got about 5 or 6 here. Talking about what that type of fellowship looks like. Romans chapter 12 verse 10 says this. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Outdo one another in showing honor. Galatians chapter 6 verse 2 says. Carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 15. See to it that no one repays evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good for one another and for all Hebrews chapter 10 verse 24 and let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works and finally first John chapter 4 verse 7 says this dear friends let us love one another because love is from God and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God the early church and this actually got them into trouble later on uh, you know that the early church faced a lot of persecution they would have these things that came to be known as love feasts. And the reason it got them into trouble is because they also went around calling themselves brothers and sisters. And they would have these love feasts. And so people misinterpreted looking for a reason to bring persecution. And it got them there. But at the, these were gatherings where they came together to share a meal and teach each other from the scriptures. All right, I guess the modern day equivalent of that is a small group or a Bible study that they would have together and they would spend in each other's company. They held each other accountable for the teaching of the Bible and for their spiritual growth. It was more than just a superficial meeting. When they came together, they truly loved each other. They they loved each other to, to, as Eric has mentioned a couple times, to have hard conversations with each other and holding each other accountable for what was going on. Back then, in, in, in that culture, they truly believed that one person was accountable to another person. In our culture, we're all independent. All right, We don't want anybody speaking to us. And if somebody does, what happens? We go all porcupine. right? Our, our, our quills pop up and we're like, man, you best back off before I start shooting these things at you. Okay, That's what ends up happening. But that wasn't the way it was back then. This was their life and this was their family. In fact, one thing that I I didn't write in my notes but I I wrote down. When it says in um, in verse 41 that 3,000 people were baptized, what that shows us is that they were fully committed to what they were doing. This wasn't just a superficial thing for them they were fully committed because the moment that they were baptized, as soon as the Jewish synagogue, which was the central thing in their lives, as soon as the synagogue found out that they were that they were, um, had been baptized into Jesus, they were excommunicated from the synagogue. They were kicked out and were no longer considered a part of that group. So for 3,000 people to, to be baptized, they were taking the ultimate commitment. It's kind of a it's kind of like, I don't know if you guys have ever heard this story before, but there were these animals. There was a cow, a chicken, and a pig. And they, they, were, they loved the farmer. And they were like, you know what? Yeah, we're gonna, we, we love our farmer so much, we're going to have breakfast for him. All right, so Mr. Cow, you get the milk. Miss Chicken, you lay the eggs. And the pig said, wait a second, I'm not a part of this. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not having anything having And they were, they were mad at him. Like, why? Why won't you? Don't you love the farmer? The pig said, yeah, I love the farmer. He's great. He feeds me. He gives me mud to, to roll around in when it's hot and it keeps me cool. Right? I love the farmer. So why won't you help? Why won't you bring the sausage in, the bacon? And the pig said, well, because the milk is easy for you to give. And the eggs are easy for you to give. You All you've got to do is let him milk you. And the chicken, all you've got to do is sit on the nest and lay the eggs. I've got to give everything. Right, because when the pig turned into bacon, he was giving his life. That's what the Jewish believe. I really should not be comparing Jewish believers to, to to that was not that was not my intention. But um, oh boy, all my Jewish friends are now very upset with me. But I, I I think what what I'm trying to make is these these folks were were all in on what they were doing so much so that they were willing to ex- be excommunicated from their previous life to be a part of this. Now I'm going to be, I, I, got, I just told a joke there. That was kind of leading up to, to the serious moment of the, the message. Um, I'm going to be really honest with you. I'm going to be very, this is, this is where, um, where, where I, I confess some stuff. This is hard for me. Having fellowship and, excuse me, having fellowship with people and, and letting people into my life. I was talking with, with, with folks uh, about this this week. Letting people into my life is, is very hard for me, okay? And, and I could just say up here, it's like, oh, it's something I'm working. It is a sin in my life that I am confessing because I know, excuse me, I know that I have hurt some of you because I refuse to let you in. And the reason being, and, and this is not an excuse, but, but I'm, I'm, I'm laying out for you why this is. I have been involved in church work for the majority of my adult life since I left college. And in every single one of those situations, whether I was a youth group leader, whether I was a youth pastor, whether I was the church intern, in every single one of those situations, I opened myself up and I let people into my life. And every single one of those situations, people hurt me. They hurt me bad. People that, and, and the reason I think, and, and I know that all, most of you have experienced this as well, and people watching on Facebook or listening later on the podcast, y'all have probably experienced this as well. We don't expect that to happen from people in church. We don't expect that to have, have that happen to people in church. Five years ago, five years ago, I was a youth pastor at another church in this town. I was loving life. I loved it. I was, it was great. I. I. I it was wonderful. I let people into my life and they, they hurt me and they hurt me bad. And I ended up getting fired from that church because of the thing, because I allowed these people into my life. Now, I'm not saying that letting them in, I, I, I will fully own the mistakes that I made in that situation. And so for me, and, and I don't mean to take up too much time, I, I live daily with those scars and with those wounds and I am terrified Literally terrified that if I open myself up and I let people in, that the same thing is going to happen. I'm terrified of that. All right, and and I'm saying this not because I'm I'm trying to make excuses for me. I'm not trying. I'm not trying to do that. I'm confessing and I'm saying I'm sorry. All right, it has been something that, and I know I've had many conversations with you all. I'm sorry if I have hurt you. I I truly am. And it is something that I pray about every single day. And Tina and I work through it every single day. Because we don't want the same thing to happen again. But we cannot, I cannot, as your pastor, I cannot keep you all out for fear. Because that's where I'm sinning. And that's where I'm hurting you. And that's where I'm causing pain in this church. And for that, I am sorry. And and I'm not trying to make this all about me. But I know that there are people in this building... Who have experienced the same exact thing. And we build up these walls because we don't want people in. Because we know that when we let people in, guess what's going to happen? They're going to hurt us. Because that's what people do. People, people hurt people. All right, and, and, But if we're truly going to experience fellowship. If we're truly going to experience the fellowship that Acts chapter 2, 42 is talking about. We have to tear down those walls. And the way we tear down those walls is we start by confessing it to each other. We cannot continue to keep it in. Now, I can't promise you that I'm going to be the perfect pastor. I can't promise that I'm going to open up and suddenly be this big, loving, hello, how you doing kind of guy. That's not me. Y'all should know this. I'm very introverted. Probably couldn't tell from me being up here. I am very introverted. And being around people, it, it, it causes me great distress. But I will do my best. I will try. And with God's help, I'm hoping that it's going to get better. All right, let's continue on now that I've made everybody feel sad. (laughs) All right, but we do. We need to repent of this and we need to open us up, even if it means that it's going to lead to more pain. The third thing that we see is we see that the early church, not only were they devoted to the gospel. They were devoted to the teaching of the Bible and they were devoted to each other. They were enmeshed in each other's lives. They were also devoted to the breaking of bread. Now, when you hear that phrase, a lot of times what we think is we think, "Oh, they were devoted to taking the Lord's Supper." It's more than that. Okay? Now, what was the reason that Jesus left us with the Lord's Supper? He left us to remember him, all right, let me read to you. Luke chapter 22, 19 and 20 says this, and he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them, and said, "This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me." In the same way, he also took up the cup after supper and said, "This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is in, in my blood, which is poured out for you." When it says they were devoted to the breaking of bread, yes, they took the Lord's Supper. And in case you're wondering, we will be taking the Lord's Supper. Not today. It'll be later in March. We're going to do it right before Easter in a way to prepare our hearts for that. Um, but when they came together and they went through this, this ordinance, one of the two ordinances that Jesus set up for the church, it was to be reminded of the things that Jesus did for them. They were constantly reminding each other of the gospel, of the fact that Jesus left heaven Came down to earth, lived a perfect life, died on a cross in our place, took the sin penalty that we deserved, was buried, and three days later, rose again, proving that the sacrifice had been accepted. They were constantly in each other's lives saying, Hey, remember how Jesus did this? Remember how Jesus did this? Because if we truly want to grow in our faith, we have to never get past the gospel. If we ever get tired of hearing the gospel, something is wrong. And the early church, it says it was devoted to the breaking of bread. They were constantly reminding themselves about Jesus. It wasn't about their preferences. It wasn't about their comfort. It wasn't about this, that, or other. It was about Jesus. And that is what church is about. Church is about Jesus. And then the last thing we see, and then we'll move to my, uh, my last point. Um, they were devoted to prayer. They were devoted to prayer. The book of Acts is full of examples of prayer. It's clear that the apostles believed in the importance of prayer. The apostles gathered together to pray for the, the, for the Holy Spirit, pray before the Holy Spirit was given. In Acts chapter 6, verse 4, the first deacons were appointed because the apostles said, Listen, we need people to help us out in the church. There's lots of people who are complaining and upset because they don't feel like they're being taken care of. They don't feel like they're getting cards from anybody. They don't feel like people are giving them hugs and things like that. We we can't do it. So we need people, we need people that are gifted in that area to step up and do those things. Because what are the pastors supposed to do? The pastors are supposed to preach the word and they're supposed to pray. All right. It's not, and I know that that's probably a paradigm shift. Right? Everybody wants the pastor to, to love them. And guess what? The pastor does love you. I can promise you, there is not a day that goes by that I do not pray for at least four or five of you by name on my ride to work. That's when I do my prayer time. I am praying for you. Alright? Maybe I am not one that opens up and is big a gushy, you know, oh I love you. Oh. I, I, I'm gonna be straight up honest. I will probably never send you a card. Never. So, if you're upset about that, I, I, there's not a thing I can do about it. All right, it's not my thing. But there are people in this church who love to send cards. There are people in this church who love to. Send. Clearly, from what I've been told, there are people who love to get cards. It's super important, and I understand. That. Well, actually, I don't. But um, it is. It is not my gifting. My gifting is to preach the word. My gifting is to pray for you. Right. But there are other people in the church who can do that. Prayer is super important. And that's why, that, that's why the pastor is supposed to devote himself to studying the Bible and praying. Moving on before I get myself in any more trouble. In Acts chapter 12, Jesus, or James, well, James, James? John, and Peter, James, one of the big three, he was executed. And they threw Peter in jail because the, Caesar saw that it made everybody happy. So he threw Peter in jail. He's getting ready to do the same thing for him. And what did the church do? They gathered together and they started to pray. They got together and they started to pray. And because they were praying, Peter was able to be released from prison. Nothing was accomplished without prayer. Charles Spurgeon, I mentioned him last week, he said this. Prayer girds human weakness with divine strength, turns human folly into heavenly wisdom, and gives to troubled mortals the peace of God. We know not what prayer can do. The health of a church can often be judged by the health of its prayer life. Let me, say that, let me say that part again. The health of a church can often be judged by the health of its prayer life. Maybe I should say it one more time. <laughs> when I go to the doctor, the few times that I do, they take my blood pressure. Right. They put that thing on, they squeeze it. I don't know how they do it, but it, you know, it's, it's voodoo, that thing going up. Right? And they can tell me by those numbers if I'm healthy or not, if there is something wrong based on my blood pressure. Now, there are other, clearly, I understand there are other tests that they can take to do that. But um, your, the prayer life of a church should be considered the blood pressure of the church. And if we look at the prayer life of a church... And we're not a praying church. Now, no, I'm not saying us in general. But if a church is not a praying church, it's going to have a very low blood pressure. That's a problem, right? We have to make sure that the, the health of the church is based on its prayer life. The early church had few resources, but they turned the world upside down. There, there's later on in the book of Acts, there, there's a part where they go, those guys that are turning the world upside down, they're here. We've got to do something about it. They had very few resources. We looked at that when we went through the first part of Revelation. They prayed by themselves. They gathered together to pray as a church. They prayed by themselves. It didn't matter the circumstance. They prayed. And because they prayed, they accomplished some amazing things. If we as a church truly want to see God move, we need to pray. If If we want lives in our church and lives in our communities to change... We have to pray. If we want all of the, if we want all of the, the positions for VBS to be filled, guess what we have to do? We have to pray. If we want this building full of people, full of children coming to VBS, guess what we need to do? We need to pray. We want this mortgage behind uh, this building behind us, paid off in a miraculous way, guess what we have to do. We have to pray. Are you sensing a pattern here? All right uh, Maybe some of you will pick up on it. All right. We, we will accomplish nothing if we don't pray. Jeremiah 33.3 3 says this, Call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and incomprehensible things that you do not know. The early church was characterized by individuals who thought more of the group than themselves. They were willing to make sacrifices even at great personal cost if it meant that someone else in the church would be ministered to. The believers were constantly together, worshiping, teaching, and reminding each other of the great and mighty things of Jesus. And what was the result? Well, Acts chapter 2, verse 47 says this, Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Because the early church had these characteristics, people looked at them and said, Wow. I want a piece of whatever they've got going on. I want, I want to be a part of that. And people were being saved every single day. So, um, as we get ready to close, I'm going to close this out here in just a minute. Um, as we prepare to close, I want us to examine ourselves... And I want us to examine our church. Now, this is not a time for us to be like running down the checklist of everything that's wrong with with, with the church. But if you want to, by all means, my email address is on the back of the bulletin. Feel free to send me a letter. All right. We just looked at what the early church was like and what made it healthy and dynamic, so that even so that people were being saved every single day. There are four signs of a healthy church and a healthy Christian. All right. And now these are not these are not. um, Original with me, I took these from uh, a guy named Tony Mer- Merida, I think is how it's pronounced. It. He's a pastor down in, um, down in North Carolina. But let me briefly explain what they are, and then I want you to prayerfully test yourself and the church according to these things. And as you do, pray that the Holy Spirit will strengthen you in them and strengthen us as a church to grow in these areas. All right, the first one is loving fellowship. Do you have fellowship with God through Jesus? All right, That's the very first thing. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, that's where we start.? Okay? None, none of anything else that I say after this is, is moot. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Loving fellowship is there. Are you working to develop relationships with others in your church? Do you show up for events? and are you wor- and worship faithfully? And do you make it a priority? To pray for others in the church. That's the first thing. I hope, hope you're pr- l- praying through these. Number two, biblical nourishment. Do you understand and can you easily explain the gospel? If you've been with us on Wednesday nights, I hope you can say that you can. All right. um, are you regularly sitting under the authority and teaching of the scriptures? Meaning, are you making it a priority that when the Bible is being taught that you are here to hear it? Because if you're not, you're not getting the nourishment that you need. Now, I'm not trying to put myself up and saying I am the the end-all, be all of anything. Hopefully, though, hopefully I am faithfully communicating what the scripture is saying and it's helping you to grow as you hear it. Are there individuals in your life who are helping you to grow as a believer? Are you teaching the Bible to others? Right? Is there somebody who's helping you grow? And are you helping somebody to grow? Number three, vibrant worship. Do you look forward to gathering with your church family to sing and praise God? Are you grateful for the privilege to gather together as a church? Do you experience awe and wonder when you consider what Jesus has done for you? If you can't think about Jesus dying on the cross and the grace and the the mercy that he showed you by taking your place on the cross, if you're not overwhelmed by that, You need to get that way. You need to find out what is keeping you from being overwhelmed by that and get that way. If you ever get past that, there's a problem. There's a very serious problem. Many of us take coming to church for granted. But there are brothers and sisters meeting this morning in secret. And I'm not trying to put the guilt trip on anybody. But there are brothers and sisters around the globe that are meeting in secret right now because if they're found out to be worshiping, They'll be thrown in prison or worse, right? And then number four, word and deed outreach. How are you doing when it comes to sharing the gospel with others? How are you doing when it comes to inviting others to join you in corporate worship? All right, are we going out during the week and are we inviting others to join us like Philip did? or I'm sorry, like, um, hold on, I'm getting it mixed up. Andrew, there we go, Andrew, sorry. Andrew went out and he started inviting people to come and see Jesus. I'm looking around this morning. We were supposed to have invite teachers to to church this morning. I don't see too many teachers. Now, I'm not putting the blame on everybody, but did we invite them? There are people who have family that live in this neighborhood houses within arm's reach, we can look out the window and we can see houses of our neighbors and our friends who all they have to do is walk across the street. Are we inviting them to come to church? Are we sharing the gospel with us? Sorry, I'm getting myself all worked up here. All right. How are things in regards to deeds outreach? Are you regularly helping to minister to others? And are you practicing generosity with your time, talents, and finances? Tomorrow afternoon, um, this isn't a part of my message, and I know we got to close. Tomorrow afternoon at Eagle I- Intermediate School out in Martinsburg, um, there's a, a, a ministry that we contribute to from time to time, uh, community combined, or combined community ministries. They provide um, food bags for, for children. Now, with the potential of school being shut down Thursday and Friday, um, there, there's going to be a long period of time where the students who receive food are gonna not be able to get that. So tomorrow afternoon at three o'clock, because it's a holiday, most of us have the day off. They're doing an emergency pack where they need people to come out and help pack about a thousand bags. Right? This would be a perfect opportunity for us to reach out and minister to our community. I know my family is planning to be there. I, I, I'm mentioning this because I'm hoping that, to see some familiar faces there as well. The early church did many things well because they stuck. To the basics. They loved Jesus and his word. They loved each other. They worshipped consistently. And they prayed without ceasing. But one of the key things that may be overlooked. Is the fact that they did it together. They did it together. Nowhere in the Bible. Will you find a Lone Ranger Christian. All right. A lot of times, you know, particularly in movies and stuff, we see this guy who, um, and I hazard to use this phrase because I know it has a, has a negative connotation. In movies and stuff, we see lone wolf characters right, that, are, that are running around and doing things by themselves. That is not a scriptural principle in any shape or form. We look to the guy who goes it alone as some kind of hero to emulate. The problem is that this type of behavior has no place in the body of Christ. And that's why I've stood up here before you many times and had to say, look, I struggle with self-reliance. I struggle with wanting to do things on my own and not wanting to, to let people in. We are called to live, minister, and worship together. Our sanctification, growing to be more like Jesus, only takes place in the context of the body of Christ. When we gather together, and, and and I'm just gonna be straight up honest. When I show up on a Sunday night and there's like six people here, it bothers me. All right, it bothers me not because and not because I spent you know hours preparing to to get up here on Sunday night and teach, but it bothers me because I know that the only way that we will grow as a church and that we will grow as Christians and we will grow to be more like Jesus is when we make it a priority to be together to grow together. Showing up one time a week, and, and forgive me, I know I'm sounding like I'm chastising, and I don't mean it to be that way. Showing up for one service a week is not going to be enough to grow us to be like Jesus Christ. It's just not, not going to happen. Our sanct- like I said, our sanctification only takes place in the context of a body of Christ. Acts 2 sets the example. Now it's our turn to make it happen. Let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you so much for the Acts 2 uh, example of what a, a church looks like, Lord. I, I thank you that you gave us the opportunity to, to study that this morning. And, and as I think over our church, Lord, I am thankful so much for the people uh, who, who come and join us and, and are here to worship with us uh, on a Sunday morning. Lord, I, I am thankful so much for the fact that I have the opportunity to, to minister to them and to be ministered to by them. But Lord, I, I, I know that we do, we do many, many things well. We, we do many things well as a church. But Lord, I also know that there are areas that we can grow in. And, and, I, and I'm not, I hope that I am not just speaking for myself, but that, that others can see that as well. And, and Lord, I pray that you would help us to take this, to use the Acts chapter 2 church as an example, and help us to grow as we love your word, and as we love each other, and as we are constantly reminded of who Jesus is and what he did. And, and as, we, as we spend time growing together by praying together, Lord, we're not just praying for each other, but that we are, we are wrestling and praying together as a church. And those are the things that are going to help us to grow and help us to reach the health that you are calling us to. Lord, help us as we help us as we grow in these areas because no church is perfect and every church can strive to do more, Lord. And I pray that you would uh, help us to do those things, Lord, that we would commit ourselves to to studying the scripture and to loving each other and to praying and to being constantly reminded of who you are. And Father, if there are individuals here today who, who have heard me talk about this and who who are wondering? Well, what does all of this mean? I don't understand what what's going on, Lord. That may be because they don't have a relationship with you. And so, Father, I would pray that if there is someone here today who does not have a relationship with you, whether they're here in the in the auditorium or or, or by chance they're watching via Facebook or going to be listening later on the uh, on the podcast, um, Lord, that if they don't have a relationship with you, but that they would find that someone to help. Walk them through what is needed in order for them to repent and believe. Lord, that that they would trust you and that we would be able to to celebrate a new heart being given and a new name written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. Lord, I confess to the church this morning that that I struggle with letting people in. That that I I have sinned against them by not opening and and letting them in. And so Father, I am confessing that to you as well. And Lord, I ask that you would... Uh, send the spirit and help me to walk through it. But Lord, I know that there are other areas in my life and I know that um, without pointing fingers, I know that there are people in this building who are also struggling with different things. And so Father, I pray today would be a day of healing, that they would repent of those, that they would turn them over to you and that they would begin to walk in you anew. So Father, if there's anyone who needs to confess, the altar is open. Lord, I pray that, or if they want to pray with somebody, they find somebody to pray with. But today would be a day of healing. Today would be a day of confessing. Today would be a day of moving forward and growing in your spirit. Lord, thank you so much for what you've done for us and for your word.